you can always come home. You can always come home. You can always come home. Turn me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, picking up in verse 11. As we come to our finale of our wonderful series, Things That Are Lost. You know, you guys have been my church family for the past 11 years. I have not had no other church family. You've been the only one. I met my wonderful wife, Hallie, here. We married for five years. There she goes. I'm like, man, how did I pull that? You know what I'm saying? For real. We met for five years. We met here, and you guys have just been a family to us. You, you guys mean so much to you, us. But today's my first time teaching here. Thank you for that. I feel, I feel a lot better. Now I can ease into it. <laughs> hey, y'all asked for it. But it hasn't always been that way. It has not always been this way. I remember seeing a beige Mitsubishi when I was around the age of 12 and 13 drive out of the driveway with the red brake lights down the street with my dad at the wheel. Because prior to that moment, my mom comes inside and she says, your dad hit me. Shocked, I looked at my mom, couldn't believe what I just heard, couldn't fathom this wouldn't be possible, and she repeats the line, your dad hit me. And from that moment on, my life as a son, as a child, was forever changed. I looked at my dad and I hated the man that I saw. And maybe some of you have gone through that similar thing where you've seen domestic violence or abuse in your household and you had to grow up and watch that. But I'm here to tell you that you can always come home. You can always come home. A kid my age should have never experienced that. And you should have never experienced that. That was not the Father's design for your life. That was not his hope or his intention. Would you stand today for the reading of God's word? Picking up in verse 11 of chapter 15 of Luke. And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he had divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey to a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Amen. And when he was longing to be fed with the pods of the pigs that the pigs ate, no one gave him anything. 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion and ran, and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the, to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And the father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. That you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Amen. Jesus, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the story. But it means something to us, God. We ask that you would enlighten our minds and our hearts and that we would be tender to what you have to say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we get ready to close this series, many of you have most likely have heard this story before, the prodigal son. Right? We, we, we see the celebration. The son comes home. Everything is restored. And we're happy. And it, it does something in our hearts. And we... The temptation to go, I can check out now. I've heard this before. I know how it ends. But like I said, like me, and maybe some like you, I was the prodigal in this story. And I had to come to grips with this idea of sonship. If there's anything I want you to understand today, it is this. Sonship is a response to what the Father calls you. That's my prayer. You understand that sonship is a response to what the Father calls you. Like I mentioned earlier, after my mom was hit, it wasn't long after before I started getting abused. And if you ever dealt with that from, your, from a dad... My dad went quickly from the person who loves me, who's my father, who wants the best for me, to a monster. I remember one night in particularly when my dad 
had gone out drinking. He made this promise with me before he left. He said, Markel, I want to play this video game with you called Madden. Anybody played Madden before? Yeah, this, yeah see, there's some of y'all. Yeah, I know. Listen, I was the best Madden player. Uh, and my brothers know that too. But he, he makes this promise to me, hey, Markel, I, I'm going to play this game with you when I come back home. And I said, okay. In my heart, I'm going to stay up for my dad. I'm going to stay up for my father because I cling to his promise. My dad leaves. Now, here's the thing. Nine o'clock rolls by. Ten o'clock rolls by. And in my mind at that age, we had a curfew. We had to be in bed by 10 o'clock. Well, at least you have to be in bed. You have to be asleep. So I decide, well, I'm going to stay up because my dad made a promise. So I stay up. 11 goes. 12 a.m. rolls by. And in walks my dad. And I peek around the corner of my grandmother's house and I look down the stairs. And I see my dad in his black leather jacket with his fist in the air. And he says, are you ready for this? And as a naive child, I said, yes. And I walked around the corner, picked up the controller, and not, not even five minutes later when I... He was getting ready to press start to begin the game. A fist comes. A fist comes. And I'm on the ground, and then another fist comes. And as I'm curled up in this fetal position, with my dad saying these obscenities to me and then telling me to go to bed, It was at that moment that the person that was supposed to be my rescue, the person that was supposed to have me in his hands, was the person that was putting his hands on me. See, this idea of being a son, when I hear this story, the, most, the majority of my Christian life, when I hear the son it hurts my heart because I didn't, there's this tension in me that has been, how can I reconcile this father who loves us, who wants us, who wants the best for you with this idea of the image of my dad who has been anything but that. In fact, it's been the exact opposite. So how can I accept that this, that this father in this story is running to his son, he's embracing him and he's kissing him, when I never got that from my dad, all I got was abuse. And maybe that's been some of you. And from that moment on, I never got jokes because I didn't, I didn't know if a punch was coming. And I never believed any promise my dad ever made from that moment because what I, was, what I learned was that dads forget. Promises aren't something that they keep. They just say and then forget. But remember that sonship is a response to what the father calls you. In this, in this story, 
It says that the youngest son spent all of his property in inheritance. A famine comes in the land, and he begins to be in want. And so he gets in with the pigs. Now, in this story, you have to remember, this isn't an American story. This is, a, this is Hebrew culture. This is a Jewish context. And so I want to paint this picture for you of this story in a way that you can understand, okay? So how many parents we got in this room? We got a lot, yeah? So you're going to understand this. You have a son or a daughter, and they may not be the most responsible person. Maybe there's some, like, punk little rascal. And they say, you know, Mom, Dad, I want my inheritance. I want my Roth IRA. I want all the stocks you got. I want the, I want the vacation home. I want it now. In fact, I want it so bad that I wish you were dead. Because in Jewish culture, for a son to ask for his inheritance when his father is alive is basically saying, I wish you were dead. So imagine you, you're the parent and you hear your son say this, what are you thinking? Like this guy, this, you're selfish. I've done all these things for you. I've provided a roof over your heads, clothes on your back. You can eat all my food. I got to spend too much money on groceries. Just to hear you say, I want, my, I want my inheritance now, and I wish that you were dead. And so the son says this to the father. But I, I wonder how many of us have said this to our heavenly father. Just, just give me the things, God. Don't ask for anything else. I want, I want what salvation has to offer. I want, I want the heavenly home. I want the new friends. I want to feel clean and be better. But I don't want the author of salvation. I don't want Jesus. How many of us have done this? So like this son, I became the prodigal. And then he gets in with the pigs. And pigs in this time, they're unclean. You couldn't touch them. And if you touched them, you had to spend a certain amount of days getting clean again. And so he's here. I'm here to tell you that sons, daughters, you will become servants if your wants become king. Sons and daughters, you will become servants if your wants become the king. The son wanted something so bad that he wanted it to be the king of his life. And he spent it. And then now we look at the story and he comes to himself and it says, the son says, I can be like a hired servant. Forgets the entire idea of sonship, the entire idea that he, that he was ever called a son. So we pick up in verse 17 and 18. And the son says, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I can imagine this, this conversation he's having in his head. And maybe you've had this mindset too. I want to go home, but the only way I'm going to get home is if I, if I go serve him again. Like I, want, I want to go to church, but the only way I'm going to go to church again is if I can just do something. i got to serve God first. I need to get back to him, but I have to serve him. 
Call me a servant, but don't call me a son or a daughter. He's assuming the father's response. But in the story, you see the father. The father didn't do that. The entire time, the father has been looking for his son. The entire time, he's been looking and waiting for his son to turn around and to come home. And we see that the son, when he's yet afar off. Now, I don't know what y'all think afar off means. But that's not, that's not from here to the cafe. Do you know what I'm saying? Afar off means he's miles off. So think of what the dad is like waiting for. He's been waiting this entire time for his son to make the decision, dad, I'm ready to come home. I hear all the time, I'm not ready to come home. I have to have my stuff together. I need to have all my ducks in a row. I need to be perfect before I come back to him. Look at the story again. He says when he was afar off, the dad runs to him, falls on him, kisses him, and embraces him. If you in your heart and God's calling you right now today, and you say within yourself, I'm ready to come home, the father is running to his sons and his daughters. At 19 years old, I was, I was afar off, and the heavenly father came running to me. So when I... When I think about my life and that... And where I'm at right now, talking to you all, and I realize that I shouldn't be here. Like things were not lined up for me, for me to be standing right here. And that night in April, when I was 19 years old, the father came running to me. I was getting ready to smoke weed and do drugs. That's where I was at. I hated my dad. I hated family. And I got tired of seeing my mom get abused and not not rescue her. So I'm sitting there and I'm outside leaning on this balcony window that was made of glass. And I sat there hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And that night in particular, when I get ready to light the thing I was going to smoke, I hear this voice I've never heard before. When will you allow me to be your father? And I never heard that before. I never talked to God. And any idea of God that didn't, this God, that God didn't rescue you, I hated. And so I responded to him with never. You would have been there. You would have rescued me. And as quickly as the voice came, it was as quick as I disregarded him. And I began to smoke. And then the voice came again. When will you allow me to be your father? And that night, on that balcony, sitting against that window, it was like the finger of God touched the glass and it broke. And I dropped 
everything that was in my hands, and I sobered up so fast that I, I mean, I was scared that someone heard that. I walked inside and not a peep. No one was asking questions. It's as if everyone was just minding their own business. And so I get down on my knees, and I bawl, and I say, okay. Because obviously you care. You care a whole lot about this boy who's like an orphan, but no one to care about him, no dad to rescue. And I say, okay, I don't know who you are, but you, you care about me because you're here. And so I walk into a, a church service on that Sunday, and I hear this pastor talking about the fear of the Lord. And he just says one line that I'll never forget in the middle of the church service. He says, some of you are living as if you're not going to be responsible for your choices. For your choices. All these things that happened to me as a son, as a child. But he says it was my choices that I have, I'm held accountable for. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because I couldn't blame my dad anymore. I couldn't go, you did all these things to me. I'll never be good enough. I'm going to believe and live the way I want to live. That wasn't good enough for God anymore. And so I stood up in the middle of a church service. Literally, waving my hands. Uh, I'm, I want to get right with God. And come from where I'm coming. Listen, I'm not a, I'm not a church kid, so I, I get it. You don't do that in a church service. You know what I'm saying? But I, don't, I didn't know any better. I knew that I heard God say, when we allow me to be your father, and it was enough for me to come home. So I raised my hand, and he straight up, Stopped the service and invited me to the front and we prayed. Right? Amen. Yeah. And then he began to tell me what to do with my life. He said to go to San Antonio. I had no friends in San Antonio. I had no family in San Antonio. I had no idea... I would meet any of you, or my wonderful wife, or my brothers and friends who've been dear to my heart. But I went. The Bible says to call no man on earth your father, because you have one who is in heaven. And he's always ready to, he's always ready to extend mercy and compassion. He's always ready to fall on you and kiss you and embrace you. And he's not, he doesn't want anything from you. He just wants you to come home. You don't have to do anything for him. He just wants you to come home. But how? How does this make sense to me, what I've been through? The image of my dad when I say father, that pops in my mind. Not the, not the invisible character of God. How does this make sense to me? How do I reconcile these ideas? But sonship is a response to what the father calls you. And you can respond. When we see the response of the father to the son... 
Picking up in verse 20, he says, And he rose and came to his father. While it was a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. I don't know if you've ever looked at this, but the, response was, the first response was that the father gave a robe to his son. And that robe was to cover his shame and his guilt. Where he had been, I'm sure his, his clothes were tattered. I'm sure they were torn. I'm sure it stinked of the countryside. The robe gets put on them to cover their shame and their guilt. The ring was to remind him that he's royalty. He has the seal of the father. Scripture says that when you become a child of God, that you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's his seal on your life, that you are royalty. And the last one is shoes on your feet. We live in a culture that we, we like shoes, let's be honest, right? We like shoes, some of us, yeah? I never got this when I read this. But that when, when the, father, the father gives the young son shoes, like was he walking barefoot? In the countryside? But he gives him shoes, and that signifies in the Old Testament when, when you give up your shoes or you've been given a shoe, it means that you have the right to be called a son now. That the Father has restored the right of sonship. And when you come home, the Father gives you the right of sonship and daughtership. And you can be sons and you can be a daughter by right. Because that's what the Heavenly Father calls you. June 2nd of this year, I began training for a marathon. And the goal, the goal was simply this. I just wanted to exercise. Why I chose the marathon, no idea. Just wanted to exercise. I just wanted to run. You're like, you should have started at five minutes. But I started, as I began training, and as I began running, which has been the absolute blast for me, I've dropped a ton of weight. I've lost like 30 pounds since I've run, and this is intentional, it's not unhealthy. But I've lost like 30 pounds, and I wake up early in the morning, it's just me and the Lord, and we're just running. We're just running. But I developed something in my shin. If you're an athlete or if you trained before, you know what a shin splint is. And so every time I run, there's pain in my leg. And it's when I start and it's when I finish. But I still continue because I know if I take a week off of training, it's like taking two weeks back. So I keep running through the pain. And where I live, I come off the Leon Greenway Trail and I turn left on the Prue Road. I'm headed home. And I, and I see my wife's, I see her face. And it doesn't matter if I've been running for two hours or 30 minutes. When I, when I just see my wife's face and I see home, my heart gets happy because I'm, I'm headed home. I've been out running all morning and I'm sweating, I'm fatigued and I'm tired and the sun has beat me up in Texas. 
I just want to get home. But then that's when the doubts come. That's when the lies come. You'll never finish. Why are you doing this? You're too tired. My shin splits start to, to really nag at me now. The cars are honking. People are riding on their bikes. And I'm just getting discouraged. I'm like, they're going so much faster than I am. But every time I get halfway between where I'm at and home, I get a second wind. I get a second wind. I don't know if it's supernatural or spiritual, but I get a second wind. And I'm able to finish. I'm able to get home. And I wonder if, if the father, when the son begins to go home, I wonder if he knows this. And, he, and he's that second wind to the son. The son's like, I'm going to go home and be a servant. And the father's like, I, I get to have my son back. I get to love my son again. Men, women, parents, maybe you have prodigals in your life. Maybe you are a prodigal. The father is asking you to come home. He's asking you to come home right now where you're at in your life. And if you can resolve within yourself to say, I want to go home. The Father will meet you. He will grab you. He's not here to punish you. 